Hey everyone, this is Laz Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's episode we're talking about your 11 and 37 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker and I discuss Cade Cunningham's up and down week, Jeremy Grant trade rumors, Killian Hayes' new role off the bench, and Frank Jackson's return to the rotation. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, how's it going? Doing pretty good. I'm bracing myself for some gloating, but I'll be honest, I uh, I didn't watch the big college basketball game this weekend, Laz. I really haven't been paying that much attention. Did you uh, revel in the victory? I did. I, I wish I could gloat harder, but that was maybe the second Michigan State game I've watched all season. <laughs> Two more than me, buddy. <laughs> I think I think Izzo had a great game plan, and I was shocked at some of the names that are still on the team. But yeah, I'll take a win uh, whenever I can get it. So, uh, but this week though, you made things really easy for me. <laughs> because you tweeted the only two things that you cared about were how good did Kate put Kate Cunningham play and did Jeremy Grant get traded did traded oh my gosh get traded wow where where am I today <laughs> anyway so you tweeted those are the only two things you care about as a Pistons fan for the next couple of weeks Jeremy Grant still on the team last time I checked and so let's talk about how Kate Cunningham played uh he had an up and down week he had, of course, a, a very uh, magical 34-point night against the Denver Nuggets earlier this week. Uh, followed it up with a 3-for-17 performance against the Orlando Magic later this week. Uh, ben, say what What was up with Kate this week, man? <laughs> well, the Denver game was special. No question about it. Um, it's cliche to say, but he literally was everywhere. Um You know, one of the chase down blocks in particular stood out to me. Uh, You know, mistake on offense, chases it down, gets the block on the other end. Laz, we've talked about that competitive drive that we hope makes him special for a long time to come. You know, we got a real clear picture of what that Cade Cunningham can do. I was particularly pleased, Laz, with his fourth quarter aggressiveness. You know, I think Denver did a decent job in the last couple of minutes as the Pistons were coming back making life difficult for him, but I loved how aggressive he was. I loved that uh, he wasn't relying exclusively on the three-point shot. I loved that he was attacking. And, you know, other than sort of a a quiet second quarter, I thought really he was very present for that entire game. So, you know, that was absolutely a joy to watch. You know, on the flip side of that, single games don't make superstars, right? Um, You look at the week as a whole, 60 points on 58 shot attempts with 12 turnovers, 
only five free throw attempts, right? Like there's still some work to do for Cade. And, uh, you know, that that's still very much a thing. He's still a rookie, still young, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but man, that, that game against Denver, we got a glimpse of, of what could be the future. And that was just incredibly exciting uh, in spite of the loss, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the whole the whole Pistons community rallying around that performance, I think, was special. Um, potentially some some national looks, sorting to see uh, some of the good things we haven't seen about Cade. You know, absolutely a joy to experience that. Yeah, I I was struck by the amount and like the the volume of like this is the like star making performance uh, that we got after that game. Right. Like I that was that was a like a superb performance from Cade, but we had already seen sort of like flashes of of all those elements uh, individually in other games. Right. Like I was like when you think about like this game versus the home game against Utah where they actually won. Right. Like the maybe the difference was. You know, he's going up against uh, like uh, the the reigning league MVP in, in Nikola Jokic, but uh, to me, like you know, that performance against Utah was just as impressive, uh, if you know, if not more so. But like, af- but after this game, after this Denver game, you like you mentioned, we got like a, we got a, a very fawning piece from Omari uh, Sankofa. We got a very fawning piece from James Edwards the third. We got some love from. Uh, Know, former Detroit beat writer Vincent Goodwill on Yahoo on the national stage. We got uh, the the infamous kind of uh, TNT mention from from Candace Parker about how uh, you know Cade scored thirty four and they didn't show a single highlight of it. Detroit versus everybody type of situation. <laughs> but uh, but I was I was just a little struck that I was like this, like this is the moment where people feel like he he closed the gap in the of the in the rookie of the year race in a game where they lost right like it, that didn't seem. You know that that didn't really compute to me versus like you know some of these these earlier wins that they had had earlier this month, right? Like he, he beat Giannis earlier this month, right, and uh, didn't get nearly as much uh, you know attention for that. So I just thought that was interesting. Um, the Orlando game kind of was what it was, right? Uh, just what the the type of like rookie game we hope not to see from K, but that we've gotten more often than we would have liked. Um, I felt like he was getting good looks. They just weren't going. Um, and for all the talk about the free throw attempts, right? I think the it was like we had a, we had a really nice piece from Sean earlier this week uh, about how his you know his foul rate is not really um, like in line with uh, how often he's actually been driving to the basket over the last month or so, and how we you know that will correct in time most likely uh, next year. You get more respect from the referees and everything. Um, so that's not it's gotten to the point where I'm no longer like long term concerned about him getting to the free throw line. But it was definitely noticeable that um, he's able to score 34 points without any um, without any free throw attempts against Denver and only had like what, two or three free throw attempts against the Magic and in, in like a in a bad and perf- like a bad shooting performance night. And so it's like, yeah, it's just it's uh, I don't I don't think he's any closer to winning rookie of the year. But I do agree with you, Ben, that like this is we're we are seeing like what kind of performance he can put together at all at all three levels of scoring and, and all phases of the game on offense and defense. Um, and, like when when he's able, like when he's uh when he like really puts his mind to it, right? Yeah, and the narrative piece is interesting. I think 
in some ways, maybe it's a little bit of a counterbalance to how good Jokic was, right? Like you had Jokic and um, Cade both playing fantastic basketball in that game, right? Um, and, you know, I think, you know, in terms of Cade being rookie of the year, he certainly started to make his case um, a little more obvious, I think. And, you know, thinking about the Orlando game, you know, as a counterbalance to what, what he did against Denver in the second game, you know, the more he can turn those nights into, you know, six for 17 or eight for 17, um, I think the better his chances are, I think in terms of rookie of the year, obviously, but also in terms of his long-term development, right? This, this is the piece of Cade that we've just seen more than we wanted to. These, these showings where he just looks like a normal rookie, right? Yeah. He doesn't look superhuman. Um, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen this season or not. We'll see. Um, but I think long-term, you know, those are the nights that need to turn. He needs to figure out how to turn the, the bad shooting nights into still, uh, you know, positively making a difference. And uh, look, again, maybe not this season, but over time, the the elimination of those games are going to have a lot to do with, I think, you know, the difference in Cade between being, you know, really good and, and a legit superstar. No, absolutely. And one thing I will say is that I believe he started that game like 0 for 12 and, one, and made a basket to go 1 for 13. It's, it's like we is like at the absolute least, like he didn't stop shooting. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that is that's very much like a real Hooper thing is like, uh, you know, you ne- never lose your confidence uh, type of situation. But I do like that his mentality is not going. I don't feel like his mentality is going to be impeded because of a bad shooting night right like i do feel like he's uh he's a bad shooting night doesn't mean he's not the leader of this team anymore it doesn't mean i don't expect great things from him the next time they play in like an hour or so it just means that like he had a bad shooting night and i, I think that that's um like a, a reasonable expectation to it's it's weird that that's like a reasonable expectation to put on him already but like that's that's where we are with him like i, I don't feel like this impacts him like in, in a really uh in a really poor way, despite the poor performance. Yeah, and you mentioned Sean's piece about um, you know needing more respect from the referees. I think that's fair. You know, I think it'll be interesting to watch his development when he's struggling to shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, how is he able to develop that part of his game? Because if you think about great scorers in history, y- you can s- you can see plenty of examples, right? Eight for twenty shooting nights, but you still managed to get twenty five points because you've knocked on a couple threes and you drew several fouls, so you took ten free throw attempts. Like I think that's a natural next step uh in his development that he's gonna you know one need to develop internally but also i think you're you're fair to point out he's probably gotten fouled more than he's gotten to the line no absolutely uh and that was that was even on display in the denver game right I, there was a there were a lot of uh free throws that the detroit pistons didn't shoot in that second denver uh oh and there game. were yeah, there were plenty of denver free throws too <laughs> that too uh all right, Ben. So now we're going to move on to the second thing you cared about this week was if Jeremy Grant got traded or not. He didn't, but we got a lot of rumors. So let's talk about those. Uh, rumor earlier this week that seems to have died down a little bit is the possibility of a Jeremy Grant for John Collins swap. There was a report from Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report uh, earlier this week that that was being uh, looked at as a possibility by, uh, from the Pistons side, I believe. Um, Obviously, that rumor has died down a little bit, and it it seems like the consensus was that John Collins is a better player than Jeremy Grant, and so that might not be the most equitable return for uh, from Atlanta's perspective. But what what were your thoughts on uh, you know John Collins as a Piston? I know that that was something that was really exciting for a lot of people. 
Well, certainly the most interesting trade rumor to me so far, um, you know, better players, Jeremy Grant versus John Collins, very different players. You know, I think I'm drawn automatically to the fact that he's put the ball in the basket at a, a pretty efficient rate, especially for a young player. Um, you know, similar in terms of positionality, uh, not a, not an outstanding rebounder, but a good one. Um, but really I, I was immediately interested in uh, a guy who plays power forward who scores the ball efficiently. That to me is exciting. Um, the contract is certainly a commitment. I don't think John Collins is overpaid um, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I think he's a legitimate starting better than average, good, uh, good player. I think all of that is very real and very much the case. Um, I just wonder about the timing, right? I mean, John Collins is on the hook for a lot of money for a number of years. Uh, the good side of that is I think you get him for what you expect to be his prime, right? So 23 to $25 million a season for his prime years for what he's producing seems completely fair, right? A completely fair price to pay for him. I do wonder though, if it's the right time to make that length of a commitment. So that would be the only thing holding me back. If that offers on the t- table and I'm Troy Weaver, that's probably the thing I'm questioning a little bit. But yeah, I mean, that that to me looked like the best return on a Jeremy Grant trade that I have seen. I do think it's fair for the Hawks to question if it's a, a completely fair trade. Very different players again. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe maybe I would give the nod to John as the better player last. What what do you think? Maybe you've seen more of John Collins than me. What do you think about that trade? I think I think that that would be a good trade for the Pistons and, and a less good trade for the Hawks. Um, the thing I think where the Hawks might, the thing that we might be underplaying with this trade from from our side, from the outside looking in, is um, you know locker room chemistry. The Hawks have already made one trade where they've you know traded a young player and Cam Reddish for a first round pick. And like really not much else. Um, And that was to, it seems like reports coming out of Atlanta after that is like, that was to clear up a little bit of the locker room pecking order, right? Like Reddish had been very vocal about the style of basketball that he wanted to play, been uh, pretty vocal about the contract he was going to be seeking in the off season. And like that was causing some consternation in the locker room. No, uh, Collins along that same route is like has already gotten paid, right? He's already gotten that extension that you talked about, um, that long term deal, but has always kind of been um, a little bit uh, gripey about his offensive role, which is which is understandable when you're playing next to a guy who has the ball as often as Trey Young does, and a big piece of why John a- John Collins is able to score the ball as efficiently as he does is because Trey Young like takes so much pressure off the defense. But it does always seem kind of like Collins is willing to willing to like sublimate his feelings about like where he should be in the offense if the team is winning. You know, like during that Eastern Conference finals run last season, we we did not hear much about like how unhappy John Collins was. But you know, as the start we get the start of this season, the Hawks are struggling out of the gate, you know, a couple games under five hundred you you start to hear the reports about like how you know Collins is you know committed to the city of Atlanta loves being a hawk but like wants a bigger offensive role and like is you know kind of doubtful that that's ever going to happen there as long as Trey Young is there and so like that that was the part that interested me because it seems like the you could make a trade for John Collins 
and have it not be entirely about basketball reasons um, and, and get perhaps a better player um, and than Jeremy Grant, like because of something that like, you know, has nothing to do with the the quality of players between the two teams. So like that was the thing that was interesting to me. Collins would obviously be a really good partner with Kate Cunningham. We've talked about the need for an athletic lob threat. Collins yeah. is that in yeah. addition to being a efficient, if low volume three point shooter. Um, I was watching like I was watching a couple of games of his where he was shooting way more threes than uh, you know show up statistically, but making them at a good enough clip that you you felt comfortable with it. So that was that was interesting to see. But yeah, Collins is I think you, you kinda hit the nail on the head, Ben. Like uh Collins would probably be the the current like best player we've been rumored to get in a Jeremy Grant trade in like quite some time. And so like that that in and of itself was reason to be excited, even if it looks like the trade's not going to happen at this point. Um the other Jeremy Grant trade rumor we got this week. We got well, we got a couple of things. But the other team we kind of heard in the mix was Sacramento. Uh, is there anything you want from the Sacramento Kings in return for Jeremy Grant? Ben? <laughs> oh man, Les. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty tepid on this one. I mean, sure, like Therese Halliburton is pretty good. Like we could get, we could get him, but um, I I don't think that's the trade that's on the table, right? Um, I don't know, man. I would need some real convincing. I've seen Bagley as sort of a fan favorite in the blogosphere and on Twitter. I don't know, man, I would really need to be sold on him. Um, you know, relatively low efficiency shooting the ball for a big man in spite of all that athleticism. I don't know. I think I am, uh, I'm a Sacramento Kings trade partner skeptic. Is that a thing? I think that's kind of where I'm at right now with the, with the Kings rumors. That's fair. I think it's that it is a weird place to be in a, because, because of what we've, heard about Troy Weaver in the front office, right? We've heard that they want to give Jeremy Grant the, you know, an opportunity to, you know, be happy in his next destination. And you don't hear a lot of happiness like emanating from Sacramento <laughs> very often. When, when is the last time, right? I mean, oof, they've had a they've had a rough go. Yeah. The last two decades, decade and a half. It's, I think it's been I think it's been 15 years since their last playoff appearance. Yeah, that sounds right. So yeah, it's 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 rough over there in Sacramento, and it doesn't really seem like you know a relationship guy Troy Weaver wants to you know take this relationship that he's had with Jeremy Grant for this long time and exile him to the equivalent of like NBA Siberia. I don't so I don't know about that. And then you get to the roster, right? Like I know just looking at other reports, Rashawn Holmes is a guy that. It's interesting to me that would be interesting to me on the Pistons, but like that you can't really uh, it's like not nearly as not nearly good enough to be put into like just a return for Jeremy Grant. Um, you, you know, you talked about Bagley Bagley, I think is interesting to a lot of people on um, in the blogosphere and on Twitter, but like not at the cost of Jeremy Grant either. Right. And even if you package those two guys together, I don't I don't think that's enough. Yeah. Yeah, I tweeted kind of glibly that like I would trade I would trade Jeremy Grant for like an unprotected Sacramento 30 2035 pick because they're going to be bad <laughs> for a very long time. Um, Another decade and a half projecting out a little bit. I mean, like, but that pick's going to be a top 10 pick. So why not? <laughs> but uh, I do think there is something there. Um, Sacramento, the reports we get out of Sacramento is that the owner and the front office have a much higher estimation of the team than other individuals. And so if, if there were a way to finagle like a very lightly protected first round pick out of Sacramento for Jeremy Grant, like that is something I would be interested in. 
right? Um, I don't think Sacramento's very good. I don't think they're going to be very good anytime soon. And so if you could, you know, a pick that's top five protected this year, top two protected like next year and completely unprotected the year after that, like, sure, I'd be, I'd be interested in something like that, but we haven't heard that uh, be on the table for Jeremy Grant. And so that, that's just pure speculation, but that, that is like, when you're talking about a very lightly protected first round pick, like normally you also like get a better quality player than Jeremy Grant. And so you understand why um, Sacramento wouldn't do it from that perspective. So yeah, it's it, after, after what seems like a, a solid like month of Jeremy Grant trade rumors, Ben, we also got a report from, I saw it on real GM. I forget. I think Mark Stein, Mark Stein of uh formerly of ESPN, formerly of the New York times now of like his own Substack. Uh, so that I think that's the platform he's he's married to at this point. Um, he kind of reported that it seems like the the Pistons front office is in a little bit of a loggerheads about you know whether or not Jeremy Grant needs to be traded with you know uh, NBA magnate Arn Tellum on the side that uh, Jeremy Grant perhaps needs to be traded sooner rather than later, and perhaps uh, actual Pistons general manager Troy Weaver being on the side of not really wanting to trade Jeremy Grant. And so I guess, uh, how did you feel about that report and like the, the level of potential palace intrigue within the, the Pistons organization? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I think, Laz, what I've kind of been settling into over the last couple of weeks of, as we've kicked around ideas on the podcast, as I've seen ideas on social media, on Detroit Bad Boys, I think I've just sort of been settling into the opinion that Jeremy Grant's probably not going to get traded before this trade deadline. So, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I, I think personally, I'm I'm skeptical that Jeremy Grant ought to be re-upped for the long term. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm skeptical that Troy Weaver needs to ink Jeremy Grant to something beyond the contract they have now. So what does that mean? Well, you trade him now, you trade him this summer, you trade him before next deadline, uh, you let him walk, or you re-up him to something, right? Um I guess the only thing I don't want is a hundred plus million dollar contract for Jeremy Grant. I don't think the timing is right. And I don't think he's the right fit. Um, But the Pistons don't have to do anything. Right. I mean, presumably like you think about this intuitively, you would think, yeah, his trade value is probably pretty high right now because he's been pretty good when he's been healthy. But I don't know, man, there's just not a lot of viable, um, you know, even if you go to the trade machine and start spinning together four team trades, it's actually sort of difficult right now, given the contracts that are currently out there. So, you know, I, I think it's okay. I don't think the Pistons need to rush into anything because literally, you know, the, the worst thing that can happen is someone else signs Jeremy Grant to a big contract in a year and a half and you don't. And uh, if there's not a viable trade available to Troy Weaver, I don't think it makes sense to settle for something that you don't want or need as part of your culture or part of your fit or whatever. Um, you know, because even as critical as I've been of Jeremy at times, culturally, he seems to fit. There has been absolutely no locker room drama with Jeremy. Mm-hmm. And he's a solid player. He's a good defender. He plays hard. He's a very versatile scorer. Um, you know, having that sort of weapon around on the team, I think, is completely fine. So, you know, if he's if he's still a piston after the trade deadline, I'm going to be completely fine with that. And uh, you know, we'll we'll look forward to what the summer might have to offer. That's a good point. I, I think it's a great point that you you don't have to trade him now 
I do wonder if the offers for Jeremy Grant will be better in in the offseason, say, or like prior to draft time or something like that. The the thing that makes Jeremy intriguing for a team, you know, not the Pistons, is that he could help you because he's under contract for this year and next year. He could presumably help you with two playoff pushes uh, yeah, before you were ready to give him a, a, a long term deal or something like that. Uh, and and for Detroit, I get the sense that they would like they see how special Kate is and they want to leverage uh they want to leverage Cade being good for as long as possible and it's not entirely looking like Jeremy Grant is going to like really help with that in the short term and so it's like that point you need to trade him so i i think i think Jeremy does get traded but i've been on the if i've been of the mind that we are probably not going to like the return for a Jeremy Grant uh, as much as we like we're thinking about like a month ago, right? I just like as the number of suitors has kind of fallen off, and as you've talked about, like with a bunch of teams not really having a, a great deal of like big contracts to to throw into trades, I don't I don't think we're going to like the the potential Jeremy Grant uh, trade return, which is which is disappointing, right? It's it's very it's very rare that the Pistons have you know a, a top three trade asset in the NBA out in the open, right? And so to to get very little for for Jeremy Grant would be disappointing. But I guess as as long as the pieces you get in a Jeremy Grant return fit around Cade, it's like I, I that's that's the only thing that really matters is how how well things around are around Cade. So yeah, that'd be that'd be disappointing though. I gotta say. Uh, speaking of Jeremy, Jeremy's going to play like probably this week, by the way, uh, he was practicing with the team, uh, earlier last week. Uh, he's still in conditioning after being in health and and safety protocols. I believe he's out for tonight's game against Cleveland, but he's been in conditioning for the, like he was in conditioning, uh, in the Tuesday game against Denver. And so like, uh, I presume if they play, play again on Tuesday, I would assume that uh, a week of conditioning is going to be good enough for Jeremy to be playing. So I, I think we see Jeremy Grant sometime this week. And, you know, maybe that answers a lot of questions. Maybe he comes out of the gate, uh, you know, rested and rested and ready and, uh, you know, builds a, a better trade market than the, the one we're getting so far. Um, that would be good to see. But, yeah, Jeremy Grant going to play basketball soon, which which I think it's will help. Yeah, it's yeah. been a while. Uh, speaking of playing basketball, uh, Killian Hayes coming off the bench this week off the bench so far, his stats are, is averaging 8.3 points a game, 3.7 rebounds a game, 6.3 assists a game, a steal and a block, only one turnover, but he's still shooting 38% from the floor, 22% from three and 87% from the line and almost like a little shade under three free throws a game. Uh, for Killian in this three-game stretch since he's come off the bench. So, Ben, what is, how are we feeling about Killian off the bench? I know this is something we've talked about in the past. Um, what what have you what have you seen from Killian this week? Um, do you think this experiment continues? <laughs> 
Well, Laz, we kind of called this one, which is interesting, right? Let's well, let's take a minute and uh, enjoy that we called our shot on this. Um, okay, so things I forgot about Killian playing next to Killian. Uh, sorry, playing next to Cade Cunningham. The kid has a handle. My goodness, um, he is a fantastic ball handler. He is very good at getting defenders off balance and getting to spots. Um, I think we got to enjoy a little bit of that. He still did play some with Cade, right? Mm-hmm. They, I think Casey shuffled the lineup such that that still did happen, at least to some degree. But the kid has a handle. Um, I I also think we saw some really fantastic passes, which is something we did not see a lot of when Kate has the ball, which is understandable. Um, You know, part of the reason I made that sort of tongue-in-cheek throwaway tweet about being interested in Grant and Kate, and that's pretty much it, is because... I feel like the progress that Cade needs to make is the kind of progress that happens over the course of a dedicated off season mm-hmm. as a, as opposed to in, in season progress. So that it's not to say that I'm not interested in Killian's development because I am. Uh, but I think really it's ultimately his shooting, right. That we've talked about so much. The fact that he continues to be so good from the free throw line and so awkward and hesitant and, um, I don't remember which Denver game it was, but he had one miss that was basically just a complete air ball. It's very surprising to me, right? Because there's you don't go shoot 80 plus percent, 85 plus percent from the free throw line if you don't have some semblance of solid mechanics and some semblance of knowing how to shoot the basketball. So that shot, I think he's really got to figure that out. It's, it's I think, probably part um it's probably part mental at this point. Mm-hmm. I think he's probably in his own head at least a little bit. I think some of it is probably still continuing to adjust to the fact that NBA defenders are bigger and stronger and close the gap quicker than any of the competition he's played against in his entire life. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still think that he needs a, another summer, another offseason to marinate and work on that shot. Um but yeah, I, I want to hear you go off on this because I know you have some some interesting thoughts, but I think I'm okay with bringing Killian off the bench specifically because it puts the ball in his hands and gives him a chance to feature some of those skills. No, I, I agree with that. I, I do think that putting the ball in his hands more is how we are going to figure out whether or not he can play with the ball in his hands or not. That seems kind of like, you know, tautological, but it is what it is. But what we've seen from Killian over the last three games to me has been an example of like good results, but bad process. I, I say good results because he's being more productive, right? The, the per game averages I'd, I'd spit out earlier, those are pretty much above the board higher than his per game averages uh, as a starter uh, in like the 30 odd games he's played this season. Um, the efficiency is still bad. But at this point, I think it's fair to be more concerned with raw production uh, than efficiency. But it, in a lineup next to like Rodney Magruder and Frank Jackson <laughs> and uh, and Trey Lyles, like that, like that is a spacing lineup, right? That is a lineup that plays more to Killian's strengths. We're going to talk about Frank Jackson in a little bit, and I think you know making this move without Frank Jackson like would have actually been like much much worse than making this move like with the with a Frank Jackson uh you know flanking him but at the same time like the the reason Killian has the ball in his hands more coming off the bench is like ostensibly because Kate isn't on the floor but 
it feels like there could have been more of an effort to put the ball in Killian's hands more when he was playing next to Cade because ultimately like that's how he's going to derive value right like how you get value out of that pick is knowing whether or not he can play next to Cade take pressure off of Cade like as a ball handler right and uh Corey Joseph is doing like some of that but Corey Joseph is not a long-term answer at point guard like for this team or at you know at a guard beside Cade like he's not the guy like that's going to be here long term for this Pistons team and so like moving killing into the bench you know builds up his confidence makes him more productive you know doesn't make him as efficient but it doesn't like really answer the question of whether or not he fits alongside Cade Cunningham and like that is ultimately like a more important question right it's like can Killian score? Like maybe. Can Killian pass? Yes. Can Killian defend? It's like yes. It's like can he play next to Cade? Well, it's hard to tell if he's not playing next to Cade. And so I, I, you know, I hope this stint, you know, rebuilds his confidence. I hope he plays well, like during the stint. Um, you know, as Kelly Olynyk comes back, I expect to see like we'll see some, we'll see some uh, Killian and Kelly no Cade minutes, and I think those will be some really good uh, offensive minutes for for this Pistons team. But uh, yeah, it, uh, there there was no there was nothing stopping you know Killian from being able to run pick and rolls just because like he was being flanked by Cade right, and so it's to see him finally like you know seize the opportunity to run the team only because it's been like shoved in his hands is a little disappointing. I think that's f- completely fair, Les. I think it does raise some questions about coaching strategy, right? Like mm-hmm. with Cade and Killian in the lineup, what are you trying to accomplish? I'm also really glad you brought up Kelly Olenek. I think one of the things that I like about moving him to the second unit is that you pair him with several veterans who are very experienced. You know, we talked about this a season ago, right? Like Mason Plumley becoming a Piston, Kelly Olenek becoming a Piston. In some ways, that's specifically because you want to develop your young guards, right? So I do think um, Killian has, has to view this as an opportunity to reset certain things. The other thing I'll say is, um, you know, there's a lot of platitudes and common knowledge and accepted general wisdom that I, I don't always agree with. But one of the things... I absolutely think is vital that I've talked about before is confidence. And it is just absolutely apparent to me that Killian does not believe in his own offense right now. And I, you know, what I'm hopeful for in this move to the second unit is that rediscovering his ability to beat people off the dribble, rediscovering his ability um, to see the court accurately and make the right pass on the right play and rack up some assists. I really hope that resets some of his confidence because I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to get anywhere if he doesn't believe in himself. And sometimes you have to go out in the court and, and remind yourself, yeah, I'm good at this, right? Like there are things that I can do and I can do well. And so I hope Killian views his opportunity uh, to be part of the second unit as an opportunity. And I hope that resets his confidence a little bit. Yeah, no, Jack Kelly broke down the numbers around Killian's uh, production coming as a bench player uh, much better than you and I did. Check out that article. Um the other thing I wanted to say about not Killian coming off the bench, but having like Corey Joseph start essentially is, is uh, made me kind of think about what type of player you want in the backcourt alongside Cade. And so that was a question I wanted to put to you, Ben, right? Like, it's like, as we're seeing how, how Cade operates and you know how he's improved his game and his driving ability, especially over the course of the last couple of weeks, like what kind of 
other guard do you want to put next to Cade? Does it be have to be a guy who is elite at putting pressure on the rim? Does it have to be like a, a guy who is a, a really amazing shooter at high volume? Does it have to be a guy who defends point guards uh, so Cade doesn't have to, right? Like what what kind of what kind of player are you thinking about in the backcourt next to Cade in the long term? This is such a good question. Laz, you started to get at this, I think, last week when you were talking about Killian's absence. Mm-hmm. And it has specifically to do with what you pointed out. Who does who does Cade Cunningham have to guard and what sort of energy does that require out of him, right? Like, And I was thinking about that over the course of this week as I was watching the Pistons play. And uh, I started thinking about the Golden State Warriors, not because the Pistons were playing up to that level, right? Right. But because um, you know, you think about Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, right? Two guys who are, I think, for the benefit of all of basketball, playing together again. And uh, Steph's never been a good defender, but he ostensibly is the point guard, right? Air quotes. He lines up as the point guard. But Clay is the defender, right? He's the guy who who is on ball defending the better of the two guards. And as I've watched Cade, I think he has all of the tools to be a competent and above average and maybe even good defender, even if he hasn't always been this season. But I also think about the load that I think he's going to be asked to carry offensively. And uh, it's going to be big, right? I mean, he's going to be asked to do a lot of things. He's going to be asked to go out and score 38 and five, right? Score 30 points, get eight assists, grab five rebounds, throw in a couple blocks. Like that's the level of expectation that I think is going to be set for him. So I think long-term, I think you would love to have a three and D type guard who can match up against ones or twos. Um, you know, that's part of why I've been interested in Killian Hayes as a backcourt pairing in spite of the fact that, you know, he's been a little bit underwhelming this year because he can do both of those things. He's big enough, he's long enough uh, to guard either guard position. So immediate short term, I don't think Weaver has to worry too much about it because I still think we're we're a few years away, I think, from really knowing who Kate is as a player and what that trajectory looks like in terms of timeline and all those things. But I think I lean towards you want to have a backcourt pairing who can carry some of the defensive load so Cade doesn't have to worry about it too much so intuitively that's where i'm at now maybe five years when Cade's in his prime laz and we're running the grumpier old men grandpa podcast we'll (laughs) reconsider that but right now i think that's the kind of guy they need to at least have on the roster that it is interesting to me that you were thinking about the golden state warriors backcourt because I've been thinking about the Phoenix Suns' current Ooh, backcourt okay, okay. With, with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. Yeah. And I've been seeing Cade as more the Chris Paul type. Mm, um, okay. You know, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but uh, you presume Cade will in time be like a more uh, aggressive scorer than Paul has been in the past. But like Cade is very much like leader guy, like directing things, um, controlling the flow and pace of the game in a way that is like reminiscent of Chris Paul at his best. Um, And I think the thing that has been really interesting to watch for Chris Paul, like as he's entered this like post Clippers uh, phase of his career is he's been next to like really dynamic scoring guards in, you know, James Harden and Shea Gilgis Alexander and Devin Booker and how that pairing is kind of brought out the best in him by taking away some of that scoring pressure. Uh, by taking like away some of his uh, his usage, it's enabled him to be 
a little bit more like dictatorial about like how the game is flowing and getting guys into the right place and uh, still being able to play defense even at even at his age. Um, Jeez, yeah. I, and so that's that's been that's my my thought process is like how do we find a like a Devin Booker type to play next decade? And you know Booker has been a uh, he started out a very productive but flawed player. He's improved as a shooter, has really improved as a defender. And I don't think I don't think it is a coincidence that Devin Booker improved as a defender as soon as there was something worth playing for on a, on a <laughs> nightly basis. Um, and so you, you hope to find a guy who can um, who's not like maybe like not an elite athlete, not an uh, not like an elite elite shooter, but a good a really good to great shooter who can also, you know, take the ball out of Kate's hands and like make a couple shots who who isn't like a complete train wreck on defense right who doesn't have to be um, an elite level defender but uh who can cover capably you know for the cross matchups and and like a playoff setting or something i I think it's really interesting though that we were both thinking of like the two top contending teams in the western (laughs) conference their backcourts is something that we should try and emulate well and it's also fun to like have something like that to talk about right Les? i mean we've got a talent in kate cunningham not a perfect product not a finished product yet but there's the talent and there's the possibility there and there's so much exciting unknown right like i don't know that's that's exciting to think and talk about even in the midst of uh all the losing like there's very real optimistic positive reasons to be talking about backcourt pairings with Cade and yeah I mean I like that that's a great position to be in absolutely all right Ben uh Frank Jackson's back uh we don't have to spend a ton of time on Frank but it's been it's been nice to have Frank back Frank had like 12 points on uh like eight shots uh, against Orlando and like nothing else in the scoring column it's like hey it's good to have Frank back, man. Just putting the ball through the basket, and not doing anything else. What'd you think of uh, Frank's return for the Pistons? No, man, I'm I, I'm a Frank stan. I like him. I wish he would shave that mustache. That's my uh, <laughs> that's that's my only thing with Frank. I mean, he and I had the fro working during the COVID lockdown, so I will always feel connected to Frank Jackson, even though he knows has no idea who I am. I love Frank. I love watching him play. I I really do enjoy. Uh, watching Frank Jackson probably more than his like overall productivity warrants right like but look I mean if you can put the ball in a basket and and you play hard and you know what you're good at and you go do that thing I am always going to be a fan of you and that's what Frank does some instant offense off the bench lord knows the Pistons have needed that for a decade and a half right like we'll we'll talk about the Kings as a decade and a half the Pistons are approaching that same level (laughs) yeah uh, of time of being relevant. So yeah, I'm glad to have him back. Um, you know, I, I've kind of been wondering if he would be thrown in as in a sweetener, um, you know, as a potential trade, but I don't know. I like having him. I know a lot of people aren't as big on him as I am, but I like watching him. I like that. He, uh, like I said, he knows what he's good at and he goes out and does it. And it's, it's nice to have a shot in the arm off the bench. That's for sure. I, I love the energy he brings to the offensive end of the floor. Um, I like the fact that because he's a, because teams are willing to defend him as a movement shooter, he mm, yeah. opens up a couple of play calls that the Pistons don't yeah. really have access to um, otherwise. Uh, and I, I like how the, and some of the, some of the chaos he creates as he, uh, you know, moves around the court, uh, you know, does his baseline cuts. He's not like, he's not Rip Hamilton out there, like running off of like 14 pin downs in a row, 
but I, I do think some of the the chaos he creates as he moves around the court opens things up for other guys. You saw that in particular in the Orlando game a couple of times, getting uh, Trey Lyles in the in easy basket in, in the half court, and you know himself being able to get to the rim off a off a nice uh, like wing cut. I think. Uh, Yes, it's, it's nice to have Frank back. Like I'm, like I said, it's good for Killian to be able to play off the bench with a guy like Frank who puts the ball in the basket. He has somebody to to pass to. Killian's always very, very uh, hyper. He's hyper aware of where his shooting threats are on the floor at all time. And so you know, putting shooting threats on the floor uh, is, a, is a good thing for him and uh, his ability to process and, and read the game. So, yeah, it's, it's good to have Frank back. I, I hope... Uh, Frank would be a nice sweetener, but I kind I kind of hope he uh, kind of hope he stays. Kind of like Frank. Uh, All right, Ben. What was uh, what was your one positive thing this week? We, despite the winless week, it feels like there were a bunch of positive things to talk about. But what was one thing in particular that struck you? Yeah, well, I mean, the two Denver games both fairly competitive, so that's a positive. I mean, look, the easy thing here is Cade's performance against uh, Denver that we've talked about at length already, uh, but. I'm going to go with something else from that game, and that is the 25 forced turnovers against Denver. Um, you know, the, the defense, I feel like, has been getting maybe a little bit worse over the course of this season, which has been strange. Yeah, statistically. Statistically yeah. worse, yes. Yeah, statistically worse. And I think, um, you know, one of the things, Laz, that we've highlighted on the pod over the past several years has been that the Pistons have been better than the sum of their parts defensively. And this year has sort of become the exception to that. But I really felt like they, they had very active hands. Killian and Cade both made a number of plays with very active hands, resulted in some transition opportunities with Hami finishing excitingly on the break. Um, so that's what I'm going to point to as 25 force turnovers against a Denver team that even, even though they won twice, I thought they really pressured and were very active and were almost kind of like a swarm, right? I mean, anytime the ball was on the floor, especially when Jokic was getting the ball uh, in the high post 18 feet from the basket, I thought the guards did a very good job uh, getting their hands into the dribble, into the passing lane, et cetera, led to transition highlights where George Blaha was calling for uh, Hami to get in the dunk contest, which, (laughs) you know, okay, uh, all right, all right, George, I'll, I'll take it. But uh, yeah, I, I I was encouraged to see some activity and some swarming, and then the, I, I think look too when you look at that Denver game, especially the second one, the Pistons got murdered on the glass, but the fact that they were able to um, force Denver into so many turnovers really kept them into the like like they were in it, right? I mean, they were in it until the very last minute. So uh, Pistons defense swarming, forcing turnovers is my uh, is my happy thought for this week. I think. I like that. It reminds me uh, that it, it during the Denver game, it really did feel like the Pistons had an advantage when Nikola Jokic like wasn't on the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's and uh, Mike Malone coached like the Pistons had an advantage when the <laughs> Nikola Jokic wasn't on the floor. I thought it was uh, an interesting thing to see from a alleged like Western Conference contender and Denver. All right, Ben, the uh, schedule this week, the Pistons have a four-game homestand. No more West Coast trips. No hey, more late-night games. Hey, we can hey. finally stay awake and watch all these games live. Uh, they play Cleveland in 10 minutes as soon as we finish up this podcast. Uh, then they have a game Tuesday against New Orleans, Thursday against Minnesota, 
a back-to-back Friday against Boston, but at least it's a home uh, back-to-back, so it's not like no travel involved, which is nice. And then Sunday, they play at Minnesota in a matinee game at 3.30. What's, uh, is this looking like, are there any wins on this schedule, Ben? Do we, do we, how do we feel about this week? Can we go after New Orleans? I feel like that, that's got to be the one you target. Um, Cleveland, man, Cleveland is solid, aren't they, Laz? I am Very. surprised. Every time I see the highlights from a Cleveland land, I'm surprised. Very good team. Home, I think home court advantage currently. Like, playoff started today. They'd be, yeah, number four over Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Come on. Um, yeah, thanks, Evan Mobley, for being good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Making me second-guess my instincts. I want to go get New Orleans. I want to get that win. Um uh, Boston is vulnerable, but still better than the Pistons. Uh, maybe one of the, maybe we could get New Orleans and one of them against Minnesota. That that would feel pretty good to me, Les. What do you think? I like that. I do think New Orleans. New Orleans is definitely the worst team mm-hmm. uh, among those teams from uh, from wins and losses perspective. Uh, Cleveland. Cleveland, I think, is on a fifty win pace right now. Jeez, which is ridiculous. They already Crazy. have thirty wins, which is ridiculous to think about. Crazy. Um. So I don't. I'd I'd be curious to see how that matchup tonight uh, plays out. Uh, Minnesota. I've been watching a fair amount of Minnesota. They they are really like weird team. <laughs> a lot of guys who like shooting, and uh, if if they all go cold at the same time, the the ball can get really stagnant for that Minnesota team. And so I I do think it's a possibility that uh, that the Pistons could win one of those games against the Timberwolves. However. Uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns has just been uh, an offensive revelation for this team this year. Uh, Anthony Edwards shoots a lot of threes, makes a lot of threes, does a lot of does a lot of really cool stuff on a night to night basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he banged knees actually earlier this week, um, and it, he was uh, he, he like left the floor with assistance. It didn't look like he could walk off under his own power. It's kind of worrying, but uh, he scored like twenty five in the next game, so he's probably fine. Um, and then yeah, Boston. Boston's Boston looks like a team that like just is sick of playing with one another. <laughs> like if I if I cared about the Celtics at all, I would really love to talk to someone who cared about the Celtics and knows what they're talking <laughs> about. But I think I I just prefer that they're really struggling to figure it out, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's <laughs> it's fun when the Celtics are are miserable. That's fun for me. Uh, all right, Ben. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, uh, where they can find what you've been working on this week. Well, at BR Galker on Twitter. Appreciate uh, the interaction there. Also, again, as I've been saying every week, the last couple of weeks, diving into the comments at DetroitBadBoys.com. Appreciate the feedback. Appreciate the support. And uh, yeah, those are the two best places to find me. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. And I'm also just diving into the comments at Detroit Bad Boys. Uh, taking my lumps, trying to make some jokes, just getting along with the rest of you guys. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Uh, This has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, and we will talk to you all next week. See ya.